I call your attention to the words of our text, 2 Samuel 11, verses 13 and 14. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. This is our text. Satan is the father of lies. He sows discord among people and makes them miserable by getting them to believe things that aren't true. If he can get me to believe that I deserve your shiny new car and that you don't deserve it, then he can make me unhappy and use me to make you unhappy. He can tempt me into breaking the law or at least looking for things to badmouth you because of my envy, jealousy, disappointed expectations. Satan hates the gospel, God's message of forgiveness in Jesus Christ. He hates the peace that prevails between people who forgive each other. So he works extra hard to confuse God's people about the gospel, what it is and how it affects us. He tries to make us think that the gospel is an easy fix. What Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Satan wants us to use the gospel as an excuse to sin, as if Christ died to make sin easy or convenient for us. Satan would have us believe that there are no consequences to sin, with or without forgiveness. But as our text today shows, there are consequences even to forgiven sin. Today's Old Testament reading showed the sin of David, who at the height of his power and prestige fell into sexual sin, adultery, and then arranged for the death of the woman's husband at the front lines. It seems to have gone well for David. No one knew what was happening, but our text says what David did displeased the Lord. For there are consequences to sin. There are consequences to sin in the physical world. Take an ordinary sin. You cheat on a test. So you pass the class. You got the grade. But you don't know the material. And so you are not ready for the next level. And because you know you cheated, you have self-doubt. And because you know cheating is common, you suspect others of the same kind of thing. You fall into a situation where you have to cheat again in order to pass the next class. You get a short-term gain, but it's a long-term loss. And that is what's behind every evil. For the nature of evil is choosing a lesser good over a higher good. And we do this short-sighted choosing all the time when we choose things that are less good in favor of other things. You see, you get caught cheating and then you learn painful lessons. You fail that class 
or at least that test. You have to repeat it or leave the program. Many people's futures have been changed by getting caught after they had done this so many times before. The recent mayor of Detroit comes to mind. One who seemed to get away with all kinds of sin and crime until it caught up with him. And a respected, enviable life was ruined. You see, when you get caught, the people who know you know what you did and they don't trust you anymore. Your reputation suffers. That leads to humiliation before those who work hard as well as those who successfully cheated. You feel humiliated by both. And in fact, Luther points out one of the punishments in this life to those who do wrong is when they get caught and they see others who've done the same thing or worse get off scot-free. That is the punishment that most sinners find almost impossible to bear. For misery loves company. And that's why so many who are caught and arrested for crime are so eager to rat out on others. And through this difficult experience, you learn that cheating, that dishonesty, that lying is risky at best. Sooner or later, you pay the price. And this is what David learned. Infidelity is risky at best. God showed David special grace. For while others have committed infidelity after infidelity, God had mercy on David and confronted him with his sin. For one thing, David's example would influence others. And David's example would belie his own faith. For you see, David was a saint as well as a sinner. He wanted to do what was pleasing to God, but there were times when his flesh got the better of him. And that describes not just David, but you and me. And the enemies of God will discount our faith, our love of God, in view of our sins. That's the case that Satan makes for every person. That's how he tries to persuade us that no one is good or genuine or honest. He makes that case before the throne of God about each one of us that we're all merely time servers and there is no good thing in us. Make no mistake about it, there are consequences to sin in the physical world, the real world in which we live. But more than this, there are consequences to sin in our relationships. You know, there's a saying about honor among thieves. And what does it mean? This saying means that thieves themselves do not tolerate stealing among them. Someone who has a reputation from stealing from his fellow thieves experience a consequence because the, all the others gang up on him, beat him up and take his stuff and drive him away. There's a consequence to stealing from your partner in crime, and it's usually worse than civil punishment. 
Man, I'd rather be caught by the government stealing from, from a bank than be caught by the mafia stealing from one of their people. Because criminals have a stronger sense of justice and punishment than good people. You see, any relationship depends on credibility or what we call honesty. It depends on borders, a distinction between what's mine and what's yours. It depends on accepted rules, and those who violate those rules experience consequences. That's what relationships are. They are a set of rules, the violation of which leads to a changed relationship. Consequences, often a loss or punishment. And this is paradoxical because some of relationships, many of our relationships are based on sin. Two of us gang up against another one. Two against one, cutting out or leaving someone out. Cheating a third party who doesn't know what the two of us know. We do this sort of thing all the time. It's especially rampant in junior high when kids learn the power of social relationships and how to really hurt others. And that's how we exert control in some of our social situations. And society accommodates many of these sins, many of these relationships based on sin. Divorce and adultery are often sins against children who are deprived of one parent or the other without recourse, without appeal, often without representation in courts. But our society has set it up that way. And it's a small step from ignoring the children in divorce to eliminating children in abortion. We think our society is so just. And yet, look at the injustice that is taken for granted. And therefore, we should not look with contempt upon other cultures and other societies, though they have injustices and immoralities that are obvious to us. Because there is no human society without sin injected right in there. And our relationships accommodate sin. You know, you're expected to enable family sins like drinking or philandering. You are expected to accept dishonesty, cronyism, or exploitation on many jobs that you might be able to get. You are invited to repeat lies and slander in our political life. But what's worse is our own particular sin. We hold our own particular sin so tight at times that no one can reject that sin without rejecting us. It becomes the price you pay for a relationship with me. How much of our social life and entertainment is based on laughing at others different from ourselves? How much of our social life is centered on Things that are questionable, if not absolutely immoral, like drinking, drugging, cussing, dirty jokes, gambling, risky behavior. So a change in our sin leads to a change in our relationships. 
And look at David's situation in our text. David's sin defined his own marriage to Bathsheba. It affected his own son's claim to the throne. That sin, had his son lived, would have haunted him the rest of his life. The sin of the father which befell the children. Not only are there consequences to sin in our relationships, but sin has eternal consequences. Think about canned food. Canned food is either pure or it's tainted. It either sustains life or it poisons life. Our lives are either cleansed from sin or that sin, that little bit of corruption will corrupt us thoroughly. St. Paul states the situation succinctly. The wages or consequence of sin is death. And therefore someone had to die for your sin. That someone is Jesus Christ, the son of David. In our text, the innocent child of David had to die so that David might know the cost of sin. And that's not just for David in our text. It's there for you and for me so that we might see our sin require the death of the innocent son of David. The consequence of Jesus' death is forgiveness, acceptance, a repaired relationship with God so that we can look to him as his own sons and daughters. Therefore, there are consequences of forgiven sin. The first consequence of forgiven sin is that we know the evil of sin. We know how bad it is, as Luther puts it, that we might look with terror on our sins. Only the forgiven sinner knows the cost of that sin, the death of the Son of God. Another consequence of forgiven sin is knowledge of the grace of God. As St. Paul exalts, oh, the depth of the knowledge and richness of God. How past our understanding. That's why David, a forgiven sinner, is able to sing sweetly of the grace of God in psalm after psalm. A consequence of forgiven sin is new relationships with the self and with others. Since sin is so tied up in our relationships, the forgiveness of sins has implications and we spend a lifetime working these out. How can I, a forgiven sinner, now be God's blessing to you? On this Father's Day, it's good to contemplate. How can I make my children's lives better? Hmm, is it by nagging them and reminding them of how they've fallen short, or is there some other way? Another consequence of forgiven sin is thanks to God for the limits he has put in our lives. That's the paradox, the troubles that turn us to God. These are things we ought to give thanks for, and it is so hard, it is so difficult. But the things that show me my limits, that show me that I can't do it by myself, the very things that humiliate me, enable me to receive the help of my Heavenly Father. I remember at age three, 
I got into my mother's baking supplies, covered myself and my sister with flour, tasted the sugar, and it was good. And I saw that mom was upset. And she put us, cleaned us off, and put us back in our our cribs for a while. And the next day, I, I was looking for more. And I found all of the baking supplies were out of reach. I thought my mom was punishing me. She wasn't punishing me. She was helping me to stay clean. She was able to speak kindly to me that day in a way that she hadn't the day before when I had made a mess and upset her. I can look back now and thank God for a parent who put limits. Although I interpreted those limits at the time as punishment. We too can identify the ways in which God has prevented us from allowing our desires to carry us over the brink into sin, destruction, and delusion. And a final consequence of forgiven sin is hope. Hope that grows as the present life with its deceptions and illusions passes away. That's the hope celebrated in that beautiful hymn. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Not on my bank account, not on what my children grow up to do, not on my good heart checkups. My hope is built on Jesus' blood and righteousness, which makes me right with God and forgives me of my sin. In conclusion, a boy had a dog and neglected it. After this dog ran into the street and almost caused an accident, his parents gave the dog to someone else who could take better care of it. And the boy thought his parents had punished him, but later came to see that he wasn't really ready to do what was necessary to own a dog. And rather than blame his parents or even himself, he came to accept this disappointment and see it as part of his parents' love, forgiveness, and support for him. Similarly, God deals with us. In forgiveness always, and in consequences that may seem painful at the moment, but are ultimately part of his care and his love for us. For he forgives our sin and helps us deal with its consequence. Amen. And now may that peace of God that surpasses our understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.